On today's episode of the Need to Know presented by We Roam Freely, we'll be discussing sustainability in the fashion industry and the impact that it takes on our environment and the black and brown communities that surround it. I'm your host, Saika, and joining us today, we have founder and creator of Dakota and Wolf, Darian Julin. Yeah, so I'm Darian, founder of Dakota and Wolf. Dakota and Wolf is an online curated vintage shop. But I also want to use Dakota and Wolf as a platform to amplify environmental equity, just focusing on making the environmentalism conversation focused on black and brown bodies and voices and the disparities that happen within our communities as far as like environmentalism. Also, I want to get into like community work and collaboration. So really get my community active and engage in learning more about environmental equity. So yeah, that's a little bit about Dakota and Wool. So just dropped my fourth collection today. I'm also now based in New York, which is also really nice. I'm so excited to be here finally full time. So and you also just just graduated, didn't you? Yes, I did. I quote unquote graduated in May, which was kind of like rough. But with COVID and everything, I mean, it's just you got to roll with it. Like, it's you know it is what it is so yeah you know I feel bad for people who dedicated so much time you know yeah like that's the one wow yeah and I'm like the oldest so it hit my family really hard to like see that they like couldn't see me graduate like walk across the stage but I did so with Dakota and Wolf I actually launched on my graduation day so that was kind of a way for me to like solidify all my like hard work and just everything I learned in school so I guess that's like one way I like kind of took that day that was supposed to be like ceremonial and like transitional and just made it you know into my own (laughs) that's you're able to find that outlet and to find the beauty in it so what um actually made you get into environmental fashion? I personally from knowing Darian, she has a very unique style and I love it. She always reminds me of like I don't know, she always reminds me of down south in like a very homey way. Like I feel like down south can either remind you of like Confederates or like really nice black people who just have so much hospitality. <laughs> just like you know, you go to their houses, like you don't have to worry about anything. Like they just live on like a lot of land and like they'll bring <laughs> fresh fruits. Like that's like your aesthetic. That's what it gives me. It's like a very comforting. Like yes, you know, very, you know how like people always expect black women to be comforting. That your style, right. of being kind of like illuminates that. So how did you yeah. go from taking your personal style to and you know kind of just turn it into like a brand itself? Right. So I actually like being from Texas. I can't speak for the other Southern states, but at least in Texas, like environmentalism is not talked about. Like it's not even talked about on a level of like recycling or like, you know, not using plastic, like just the generic stuff. Like they don't even go beneath the surface about talking about just environmental racism and anything because there's quite a bit of environmental racism actually like in the southern states yeah um pretty much in the global south in general um 
So I didn't learn about environmentalism until I got to college. And I was in like a global ethics class and we had to write an essay. And so mine was focused on um, like ethical working conditions and stuff. So I did a lot of research there, watched some documentaries. And that's where I was like, whoa, like, and I already knew about fast fashion prior but I didn't really like know, like see what exactly what was going on. And I think that's like the problem today is like people hear fast fashion, but they don't really see exactly like what's going on behind the scenes. They just hear it and like put it in the back of their mind. But I actually researched and like saw documentaries and was like, whoa, like this is like, this is real. And this is, problematic and the people that are affected are black and brown people and that's when I started like becoming more invested in just looking more at environmentalism through like a equity and like inclusive lens than a lens where it's very just like white generic basic view of environmentalism And so from there, with fast fashion, I was like, no, like, I'm privileged enough not to shop at, like, you know, these fast fashion brands. So that's when I started getting into vintage shopping. And before, like, in high school, I would shop vintage, but it was more just like, oh, vintage is cool. Yeah. Now it's more of a stance to shop vintage because, you know, there's so many clothes that end up in landfills in the global south. And yeah, I just, it's more of a stance for me. Like it is a style thing, but it's also like, I'm, I'm privileged enough not to shop at the, like support these brands that pretty much are slave laboring my people. And yeah, so that's how I like kind of went into my style and like myself, pretty timeless and effortless and comforting. Like I like clothes that are comfortable and stuff that I can transition with like between the seasons. So that's something I kind of picked up through like vintage shopping and stuff. I like how you mentioned multiple times that it dis- that it affects, disproportionately affects the black and brown communities. Cause every time like I'll say, oh, like save the environment, X, Y, and Z, people are like, there's bigger fish to fry, like Black Lives Matter, you know, things like that of the sort. Right. Or just like when I'll go to like protests or just out to like these groups that are trying to raise awareness. I'm like, hey, like we have to pick up our trash. We have to do X, Y, and Z because the environment matters. And one, like you said, they they do. This black and brown people are are usually the ones who take the hard, you know, the hard hit of it. I'd watch right. documentary just based off like agriculture and farming, especially like when it comes to like the meat and produce. And I noticed what well, the documentary was basically just showing us how all the waste and, you know, things that do go in the landfills are near these communities that are full of black and brown people. And what makes it really heartbreaking is that a lot of them own their land. So why do they have to right. move and, you know, give up their land? Right. Right. Yeah. There is one, like, for anyone that wants to, like, get, like, a better view into, like, slave labor and just like unethical working conditions I don't know if it's still on Netflix but the film is called The True Cost I think that's the one I watched too yeah it's it's I think it's mostly 
based in like South East Asia, like Bangladesh, but it's a pretty good like scope of what actually is going on. And it just like widens your eyes and it really makes you kind of get in this state of urgency, which I think is another issue right now, especially with like Black Lives Matter and even Lebanon right now, like a lot of people are in like a state of urgency. And it's like, you don't need to be in a state of urgency 24 seven, but a lot of people are like, oh, it's not happening right in front of my face. It's not like happening like in my neighborhood. So therefore I'm not gonna like, you know, put as much effort. And it's like, no, like we need to, it doesn't matter if it's happening outside of my door or if it's happening like in my community or another country, we need to step it up and try to educate ourselves and get active where we can. And I think that's the problem. Like there's a lack of access to information, like education wise. And we've been assimilated to not care at least in America like if it's not something in America like we've been assimilated to like not be urgent about it so right like going from like down south where it's just like one big dumpster and then sometimes like you'll have recycling bin but most time when you do have recycling bin like it's trash in there right and in Texas yeah we we don't have any recycling bin And, like, that was kind of hard when I was at home for a little bit. There, like, we have recycling centers, but I'm, like, that is, like, not, that's not accessible. That's not easy for people to just, like, constantly have to go to, like, recycling centers to dump their recycling. Like, we should have recycling bins, like, at, in our neighborhoods, at our houses, like, here in New York. Pretty much, like, it just seems like in more, like, progressive blue states, they're more like, yes, like, we're going to have, like, composting composting bins and, like, recycling bins. But, yeah, in the South, it's like, I don't know what they're doing down there. I'm just like... I'm, I, I would love to go back down there, but I, I feel like New York is where I'm meant to be at the moment to just pick up on all these ideas. Like you said, there are right. a lot of things that we don't know about because they're not happening outside of our door. And the thing is, I don't blame, a pe- I don't blame people who, who struggle to live, you know, people who are in survival right. mode 24-7 for not caring. I don't blame them. But I'm still, like, heartbroken, you know? I'm like, you know, if you, someone is working 60, 70 hours a week, like, who am I to tell you the, like how to take right. your steps to be more environmentally friendly? But it should be easier. It shouldn't be a chore. It shouldn't be a hobby. Like, you know, not a hobby, but it shouldn't be a chore. It should be kind of, like, second nature, like how we take our trash out or how, you know, like, there's better means of public transit up here so you don't necessarily have to have a car. Or right. all, like... All these things aren't necessary. All these clothes that I had, like when I came up here, I gave away all my things. I'm like, all these clothes that I have aren't necessary. I said I was not going to like invest in fast fashion anymore just for like the simple things of slave or slave slave labor and X, Y, and Z. And I was like, Right. You're privileged enough to go to a thrift store, but I'm like like I still like go to places to get things like undergarments and things like that. Or if you know, someone gives me a gift card and I'm not gonna, you know, not take it. Right. You know what I mean? But for the most part, like you said, like I am privileged enough to be able to thrift and be able to find secondhand clothes and be able to, you know, donate my donate the things that I don't need. 
Right. Yeah. Like, that's another thing is, like, people, there's, like, a crowd of people that are in sustainability and environmentalism that are very, like, oh, my God, if you shop at fast fashion brands, like, you're a bad person, like, pretty much, like, screaming at low-income BIPOC people that literally cannot, like, their life is set where, like, they resort to fast fashion brands because it's accessible for them. Like Sometimes it is cheaper, too. It's cheaper for them. Like, and people, like, in the environmentalism movement, like, literally like get mad at like these low income people that can't shop at like these sustainable brands or go thrifting and it's like first of all to go thrifting you have to have the time to do that because it's it's like millions of clothes that you're like sorting through and like picking out and doing all of that stuff and then another thing sustainable brands are expensive like yes they are better quality they'll last longer but it's like who like who has like two hundred dollars sitting around to buy like a t-shirt like it's just like it unless you're privileged enough to do that great but like there's this like exclusive like the environmentalism movement is like in exclusive in that part where they're just like oh, like, you have to do these things, you have to do this. It's very individualistic, and they don't think about, and when I say, like, I'm going to say mainstream environmentalism, because there's another part that's very inclusive and very, like, thinking about low-income communities and Black and brown communities and thinking about collectivism versus, like, the mainstream movement. They're not thinking about that at all. It's very, like, animals and sustainable brands and all of this other stuff and not focusing on like the nitty gritty yeah so yeah yeah Yeah. I never blame people that shop at like fast fashion brands because it's like that's what's accessible to them and like again it's just I don't blame we're not in I feel like we're oh go ahead I thought I've I don't blame who don't have the means. I would right. love to see like more just influencers and people who have the power and have the voice to get on the same wave. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. I just, I want to see more. Yeah. I want to see more influencer and that's, I want to see more influencers talking about the reality. Like a lot of them talk about surface level things like, just very basic like recycle compost like all of these things but they never talk about what's happening in black and brown communities like there's food apartheid there's hazardous chemicals circulating in these neighborhoods there's there's no like programming or like, I mean, people are doing better about that. And, like, I applaud New York, too, because, like, here in Brooklyn, like, there's community gardens and there's, like, there's there's starting to be more access. But 
there's still a lot of work to be done. And I just, I want them to like talk about that stuff. But like, I, I only see few and yeah, it just needs more attention. Slave labor needs more attention. Again, I think that's the problem, like education, like I'm pretty like, I'm a huge advocate on environmentalism needs to be taught in like primary schools because that's where kids like develop their perspective on the world and that needs to be in the curriculum (laughs) like and I think I would love I hope we get to a point to society where people don't have to post their traumas like where we don't have to know someone personally affected where like for me like once I heard about the fast fashion because I I've been trying to go vegetarian but once I heard about fast fashion like I've always heard about slave labor but it kind of took a not a while, but it was just like I was growing up, you know. Once I was like right. buying my own clothes and I was like able to, you know, think for myself, I was kind of like, okay, like that's not cool. Plus, it's not cool for the environment. And like you said, you researched this. I personally just watched like one or two documentaries. I was like, hmm, I don't want to do it anymore. Like it was just, you know, that simple. Like I didn't think I would be an actor, but right. I was also like, you know what? I like someone only has to tell me once that they're hurting from it. Right, and it's like how many times, like how many cries are we going to just ignore? Like the, I think like it's to the point where people are crying out about it, and the world is crying out about it. like the world is literally changing in front of our eyes because the way we're treating it, and people still aren't listening. Like at what point are people going to start listening? That's the thing. I'm like that, and this is what I've learned in school. There's a term for it. It's like kind of going into philosophy, but it's this idea that if you It's this like westernized idea that if something is not happening like within your community or like outside of your door, you're not going to be like some people are in a state of urgency if it's happening abroad, but a lot of people are just like not going to be as urgent about it. And that's what it's so it's so multi-layered, like trying to like deconstruct that like mentality of being like oh like it's just you know it's not happening near me so like I'm not going to get affected by it but it's like you are you, you are, are affected like by we're all it, connected you in a way that yeah be affected. now I have a yeah. question um, I'm not too educated on this topic right here but um I've been seeing a lot of back and forth um the basically gentrification of thrift stores you know much about yes. that? Can you inform? Can you inform yes. the people? Yes. So, thrift stores like originally were like majority of majority of thrift stores are in like low income BIPOC communities um, because again those those were stores essentially for these communities to have access to you know, affordable clothing. And I'm trying to think when like thrifting became like a huge thing. I mean, I feel like back in high school, which was, I was in high school, like 20, uh, 20, 2012, like 2016. Um, but then, but back then it was just like thrifting, like, Oh, like, just thrifting but now thrifting has become super like gentrified almost where it's like people will 
go thrifting and then like, or how do I, how do I want to say this? So a lot of places now are taking like thrifted clothes and creating these like huge, like expensive vintage stores where like the clothes are, were originally like $10 and now they're like fucking like a hundred. Yes, I will get on. Sorry, excuse my language, but this is a free space. Speak how you speak. Yes. So there's a lot of vintage stores. Um, and I see it here in New York. I don't see it much back at home because thrifting back home actually isn't like popular. It's pretty, it's pretty popular here in New York, but a lot of places will take clothes and it'll be like massive amount of um vintage clothes and mark them up completely and that's where so like I'm in that business but my like my vintage is pretty affordable like it's like it's not like I do not mark up my stuff like crazy amounts and that's where it's getting gentrified and that's where it's also like, okay, where are we going to kind of like draw the line because it's getting to the point where we're taking away from these communities and capitalizing like drastically on things that they need access to. So we're like, this whole like vintage arena is almost getting very like heavily saturated. And that's why with Dakota and Wolf as well, like I only do small batch. So like I only drop once a month and I'm not going to do more than like 25 items versus a lot of these stores are like, doing like a hundred items and then marking them up like crazy so yeah that's my two cents how do you um find like the balance of not over marking because for even for me like I want to start a depop mainly because like I like to change my style a lot like I'm yeah like, right. one month I'm feeling this and next month I'm not and I'm like okay it would be more ethical for me to give them away and however I do give some pieces away but I'm like it's to the point where I kind of just want to make the money so I can buy new clothes, you know, rather than make a profit. Right. So how do you find, because after I heard about, um, you know, the thrift culture and how people, like I shop on Depop a lot and like, I will see like a teacher for like a hundred dollars. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, y'all are bugging. Like, ain't no way in hell I'll pay a hundred dollars for So I was just trying to find like that ethical way of, you know, reselling my clothes they are right and because even sometimes like in a thrift store like lately i've been picking up pieces i'm like wow that looks so cute on my depop you know but i'm so hesitant to start start it because of like like, no you should part of it you should i love depop i love what depop like oh i'm sorry car outside (laughs) i don't know if you heard that um i I love Depop and I think it's great what they're doing, especially Depop is 
an accessible way for people to sell their clothes. There was never a platform before where you were able, besides like eBay, yeah, maybe, and like Etsy, where you were able to like quickly sell your clothes and like people have access like to these clothes. I think you should start it. I think like, I think people reselling vintage is fine. My issue is, is marking it up drastically. And I get like with some of the stores here, you know, if they have like a brick and mortar or something, you have to, you, there's a lot of costs. Like there's a lot of operational costs to like have a brick and mortar there. It, it, it's expensive. It's just, I find it. Yes. Like kind of unethical when you bought something for like $3 and then you mark it up to like a hundred dollars. It's kind of like, like I, it, it's very, it's, it's you're working in like a capitalistic kind of yeah mindset mindset and like I said like it's like I'm in that I'm in that industry like I go and like source clothing and then obviously you do have to mark it up to make a profit but I like I think you should go for it I think it's a great way for people to make money especially right now um it's just finding the balance and also like not massively buying clothes to like resell because like that's why I like with Dakota and Wolf I'm like I'm small batch because I don't want to push consumerism like too much Mm -hmm. like I don't want to constantly push out new products like I only want to drop once a month and since I'm small batch, I'm only going to have like at most like 30 items. It may increase in the future, like to, you know, maybe like 50, but like right now, like I'm small batch because I am a business that yes, wants to like sell vintage, but also wants to be mindful about conscious consumerism and be mindful about making my stuff affordable enough where I can, you know, make a profit, but also be at a level where this isn't like a t-shirt. That's yeah. Like a greed type like, thing. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot yeah. of people, especially like in our generation, a lot of people have these like ambitions to, that they don't even understand that are capitalistic ways of thinking. Like I see a lot of people like, Oh, I'm going to be a millionaire or a trillion. I'm like, no offense, but like, what are you going to do with a million dollars? Like, like, right. <laughs> so like I are do yeah so I, I personally like I said I'm not going back to work and I'm I just want to you know figure it out and I'm like how do I do this while still being ethical so that was very enlightening right what is one myth or like taboo about the sustainability culture that you've heard of oh one myth or taboo um I feel like a lot of people have like a lot of conspiracy theories. My biggest yes. one is like, like you said, um, people, they think they won't reap the benefits in their lifetime. They're kind of just like, mm, I don't want to do it or mm, it's not happening. Right. Um, one myth. Ooh. And taboo. Okay. So I don't know if this is like, 
a myth or a taboo, but a lot of people like, well, I wouldn't, because mm, I was going to say that a lot of people like don't realize that making like a, um, like a t-shirt or like canvas tote bags or anything like consumes like a lot of water but it actually does like the amount I don't know the um, I, I like don't know the tons or whatever but making like one t-shirt is like tons of water like it's like so 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 much water and that's why like I'm also kind of like with these sustainable brands I'm like we low-key like don't need any more like we don't need any more like we don't need any more like blank t-shirts like we don't like these basic things because it's what's sustainable is what you already have and what's already existing we don't need like we don't need like new like sustainable like t-shirts like there's so much of that already it's costing us a lot of water it's costing a lot of like production and materials and a lot of people I guess that's I don't know if that's like a myth or taboo but that's something that a lot of people don't realize i think um coming from like so yeah for like a program or a organization or a corporation that's like oh like we're doing this out of the environment and in reality like it's just hurting yeah yeah it's just like it, it and i've heard this so many times like i've heard it from um and well i don't want to say she's an influencer but she's she's pretty prominent on instagram within like sustainability and like ethical labor conditions but her name's Aja Barber and I believe she quoted this but she's like the most sustainable thing is what you already own and I yeah that's my I'll have to think more on that because I actually haven't even like thought of like taboos or like myths that's, but that is I'm something happy you were able to like even you know think about it enough in this given yeah that's something I guess that like maybe people don't really think about or like they kind of think making a t-shirt doesn't take a lot of effort but it actually does so <laughs> yeah what is your um I will what has been your most challenging moment like coming to launching the line I know that you were starting this in school I seen you Personally, take photos like your Dakota and Wolf line looks very professional, very, <laughs> very professional, very coherent. Like, you know, it appeals to a certain target audience. And I love that. But what was like your biggest, you know, mishap? Like, what'd you have to jump over? Oh, my God. So much. Uh, I don't think people realize how much work it was to get Dakota and Wolf. I, I will say I... It was a privilege to do it during school because if you doing if you don't have resources and you don't have guidance with launching a business, it is it would be a lot harder. It was already hard enough 
to do it with resources and guidance, but I cannot imagine doing this without my professors and support system. The hardest thing, I mean, the business plan was pretty aggressive, um, just because it was very specific. It was very time consuming. It took me a whole year to craft it. And my website was also, um, it took a toll. It took months to like, just get it the way that I wanted it. I would say like sourcing wise was like pretty like good. That was, that wasn't like super hard. I would say more like the operational side. Oh, the legal stuff. Mm. The legal stuff was pretty emotionally exhausting because I didn't want it. I didn't with Dakota and Wolf, I wanted it to be like an actual like business. Like I didn't, I, I didn't want it to be just like, Oh, like my little hobby. Like I wanted it to be something official And in order to do that, I had to make it legal. Like I had to get it registered. I had to register my name. I had to make sure all of my like accounting stuff was right. And I'm taxes. Oh my God. Like I literally cannot with taxes like that. I am still learning with that. And I am still struggling with that. Like, I'm a one-woman show with Dakota and Wolf. Like, I don't... Like, I collab with, like, um, like other people. But as far as, like, operations, like, I'm the only person, like, doing everything. And it's exhausting. But, you know, when I, like, put out new, like, vintage or come up with, like, community work ideas, I just constantly remember, like, this is what I love to do. And like, it's really not easy. Um, But when you do, when you look at the stuff, like the, the stuff where you're manifesting like your passions and everything, that's when I'm reminded, like, this is what I'm meant to do. Like, this is my purpose. Like, this is what Dakota and Wolf is supposed to be and why it's existing. Um, So I would say Yes, legal stuff, business plan, website. Those were the most challenging creating this for sure. Good question. So like, what were your best resources? Like who helped you? Who got right? Who, not got you, you know what I mean? But like who had your back during all this? Who uh, and what? Shout out to my professor, Maggie at Stevens. She was my senior thesis. So Dakota and Wolf was my senior thesis, which was why I was able to do it at school the whole year. Shout out to her because without her, oh my God, like Dakota and Wolf would be in shambles. Like she really, Maggie really got me on my toes. She guided me. She literally told me step-by-step like, things that I needed things I needed to do because she knew I wanted to make it a real thing and not just a project where I get a grade boom done like she knew I wanted to take it outside of school so Maggie also shout out to my mom because she helped me like financially help like financially and also emotionally supported me throughout this whole 
journey and process. Also, shout out to my friend group in college because they knew I was going through it. And also my partner, which, you know, my partner. I hate that. I love you guys together. Go ahead. Yes. Honestly, like all of those people. And then, of course, like there was some like learning materials like in my classes on how I was able to like construct Dakota and Wolf, like how to do a financial plan and how to do a marketing plan. And a lot of it was research based as well. So a lot of it was on my end, like my responsibility to figure out like that kind of stuff. But yeah, all of those people yeah, I would have not been able to do it without that support system. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that is beautiful. I'm happy that you're able to have that support. I'm happy that you're, yeah. you know, fulfilled. And, you know, it kind of kills two birds in one stone. Like, if you don't mind me asking, what'd you get on your thesis? Like, greed? Yeah. Um, Actually, I don't even... <laughs> I know it was an A, most likely, just based off the feedback I got, but, like, I'm pretty sure it was an A. Like, I actually don't know, because they grade after you graduate. Mm -hmm. So, it's, like, I didn't even, after I graduated, I was, like, boom, boom, done, like, done with school. I'm not looking. Yeah. I'm not looking back. Should have gave me the grade before. Yeah, and at that time, I was, like, jobs, 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 like. Like, I don't know if everyone knows, but, like, I can't, I'm not living off Dakota and Wolf right now just because I just started. So, I also work. So, I do Dakota and Wolf and work full-time. So, yeah. (laughs) And now, what are you most excited for in the future? Like, where do you hope Dakota and Wolf ends up? Where do you see it being, you know, um, and what do you, what do you hope your impact is as a whole, like? When you're 70, 80, 90 years old and you're like, you know what? Even if Dakota, like, I hope it lasts as long as you want it to last. But, you know, even if this is just something that brings you to something bigger, like, what is one thing right. you, like, you will want to, you will want your brand, this brand especially, to give to the world? Well, short term, I, so I'm soon launching um the Dakota and Wolf volunteer program and the giving credit program and I but those are in the air right now just because of COVID mm-hmm. especially the volunteer one just because like I want to be safe I yeah I want to be safe <laughs> I want to follow like guidelines I don't want to put anyone in jeopardy but it would be really nice to do some volunteering at like community gardens or food pantries in black and brown communities because I really want the Dakota and Wolf community to be active and not just like hear me like talk about it on social media and stuff but actually like join me and like be in these communities that you hear so much about like disparity wise but actually like be in them to like uplift like uplift our community and so those are short-term goals and giving credit is just 
a repurposing service where people that have bought like our products can send them back to us and we'll repurpose them and sell them back. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's like a circular. That's another thing I really want to like. I Dakota Wolf isn't fully circular, but that is also another end goal. Like, I hope Dakota Wolf. I want Dakota Wolf to be like fully circular, where we're not like we're really at a minimal like carbon footprint, and we're just like implementing new systems that aren't so linear and so like waste because vintage like people that that's another thing people think like vintage also doesn't just end up back in a landfill again and it does like it it, yeah that's a whole other topic but yeah so those are short-term angles I would love for Dakota and Wolf to have its own like communal space so have a space that is retail like with the vintage but also make it like kind of like a community garden like I don't know I have so many like ideas for Dakota and Wolf I just want it to be very like community centered and very active not just selling clothes but just you know educating people collaborating with people that's kind of the end goal if I could get people to like start caring about equity and not equality like yeah not just equality like equity it's a big difference if you want to it's a big difference right yeah some people don't know and that's the thing like if we could just like you know so can you go ahead and yeah define equity versus equality in your own like in your way yeah so equality is like kind of this surface level idea that everyone is equal that everyone has access that everyone is standing in the same footing that everyone is pretty much having this equal experience which is false (laughs) like it's so false and people will argue and say yes like like someone that's white maybe like but you are equal to me and it's like no I'm not I'm definitely not like yes I have more opportunities than my ancestors but that doesn't mean I'm like equal to you like no equity is looking at a more inclusive lens where you're essentially looking at experiences on an inclusive level where you see that there are disparities that there are experiences that aren't equal in using utilizing that to make a society that is pretty much inclusive to that so it's like equity is kind of bridging off equality and more so like okay obviously like white people and black people and brown people do not have the same experiences how can we take these experiences and make them at a level where everyone you know is I don't want to say equal but just you know like not there's no imbalance there's no disproportionate 
So equity is inclusive. Equality is not. Equality is blind. Like it's very just like everyone is the same. Everyone is this or that. It's very black and white. Equity is not black and white. It's very gray. It's very multi-layered. It's very multifaceted. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah, when I think of equity versus equality, I always think of like that little, you know, that picture that they showed us in elementary school. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the like yes. that once I've seen that, I'm like, wow, it just clicks. Right. It's equity is literally trying to like deviate the disproportion and the disparities, the stuff that's beneath the surface. So that's what we need. We need an inclusive lens. We don't need like black and white lenses where like it's either this or that because it's not either this or that. It's it. There are so many experiences that you can't put in a black and white lens. And that's what equality does. So, yeah, no. So um, we need equity. <laughs> my last question would be, um, if you could give anyone any tips on how to start being more conscious about their fast, about fast fashion, about the environmental impacts, like how would you get, like, what would you say? Well, first I would say don't, if you're shopping at fast fashion brands and that's your, like that's the most accessible way, I like I of course don't condone like what these fast fashion brands are doing but if that's the way you oh that's the only way you have access and then you know just more so maybe think about getting items that you're that are timeless and that are effortless and that are going to last but also if you don't want to shop at fast fashion and you have a privilege to like shop at like sustainable brands or like go thrifting or whatever don't don't try and switch up your routine overnight like like I said the most sustainable thing is what you already have it's not like going out and buying a bunch of like other items and then thinking like oh this is sustainable that I'm like going out and buying all these like items it's no just already keep the clothes that you have like in your closet and like take care of them oh my god please take care of your items like even like especially if it's fast fashion like try and take care of them so yeah tip number one don't feel pressure to switch up your routine overnight because becoming like going into the sustainability sphere is very it's a long-term journey and it's not something you can do overnight and it's not something that you should feel pressure to do there's so much pressure to like do all of these things and it's like we don't feel pressure take care of your items because that's truly what makes things last it's if, if you can take care of the items you already own, then, like, you're good. Like, that's fine. Also, port BIPOC brands, especially if you're trying to, like, switch up where you shop. And if you are trying to look into more, like, smaller brands and not corporate, 
look into black and brown fashion brands because we like all like we're always left under the dust and never highlighted and if we want some equity that that's one way to do it is to you know disperse where you're shopping from like kind of steering away from like these like popular white brands and yeah I mean that's pretty much it I just never want to like pressure people to like do all of these things because to be to move into this sustainability mindset is such a privilege and I mean I can't do it all like a lot of people can't do it all so I always just kind of you know take it one day at a time and do what I can and yeah so those are that's my advice (laughs) well thank you so much for taking time out your busy busy schedule to join us talk to us educate the people to educate me (laughs) would you like to go ahead and like plug in your socials so people can find you oh yeah so Dakota and Wolf so we only have an Instagram it's at shop Dakota Wolf so you can follow us there um my personal one is just at Darian Ju I think it's at Darian dot Julian um I don't know if I need to spell that I probably should but (laughs) those are my socials um and then from there, the website is on there, but it's www.dakota-wolf.com. Yeah. So thank you. So. A wonderful conversation. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to The Need to Know presented by We Roam Freely, an organization that is committed to upbringing and showcasing women of color and non-binary people of color. I'm your host, Sayaka, and join us on the next episode where we will discuss triumphing through quarantine with Courtney Burnett and Luz. Hey, this is T.A. Bazzi, founder and executive director of We Won Freely. We do a lot of cool stuff within our community, like organize art shows, give artists grants and residencies, and produce exclusive content just for you and your ears. We want to keep doing more, but we need your help. Five, twenty, a hundred bucks will help us amplify the voices of uniquely talented women and non-binary artists of color. Visit wewomfreely.com slash crowdfund now to put your money where your mouth is. Later. Um.